0: Well, how are y'all doing? Linda and I uh, have moved back to be missionaries to pastors in Tennessee. We're currently in language school to try and learn how to speak Tennessean. I'm trying really hard not to learn how to speak Tennessean. But y'all is just about as far as I've gone so far. Um, interestingly, people ask me about it and I say, you know, most of the people that I've met are not from Tennessee. Most of them have moved there from California, from Michigan, from Illinois, from all over the country. So, if you get out in the country and find some good old boys, then you know you're in Tennessee. Anybody here lived in Tennessee or from the South? Well, and I won't offend anybody this morning by what I say, will I? Bless your old hearts. Um, I'm discovering, one of the things I'm discovering being in Tennessee is uh, how you how you do speak Tennessean. And... um, how to actually insult somebody without hurting their feelings. And I received this in an email not too long ago, and it's about that, and the fact that uh, someone once noted that a Southerner can get away with the most awful kind of insult just as long as it's prefaced with the words, bless your heart. Bless his heart. And, and the illustration, for instance, was, bless his heart, if they put his brain on the head of a pen, it would roll around like a BB on a six-lane highway. Bless his little heart. Goes on to say, there are also the ones that I remember from tongue, tongue-clucking types of my childhood. Like, you know, it's amazing that even though she had that baby seven months after they got married, bless her heart, it weighed ten pounds. As long as the heart is sufficiently blessed, the insult can't be all that bad. At least that's what my great aunt Tiny, bless her heart, she was anything but, used to say. So, if you just want to, you know, get that little jab in, I guess all you have to do is just say, well, bless your heart, and and it's all taken care of. Um, Linda and I are delighted to be with you again. I was here, I spoke last August, uh, shortly before we moved back to Tennessee. And um, we're having a great time in Tennessee. We're beginning to develop the ministry there uh, to pastors. And God is slowly opening doors and inroads because everybody that I meet there obviously is a new pastor. And uh, the first pastor I met was a Missouri-centered Lutheran pastor, and he took me across the street and introduced me to a, a charismatic pastor, and, and uh, he introduced me then to about 14 or 16 other pastors that get together uh, for a, a group meeting of sharing and prayer every Thursday morning. And from there it began to open up and I met a United Methodist pastor and he said, hey, go meet this pastor. And that pastor said, hey, go meet this pastor. And so it just keeps the dominoes just keep falling. And uh, we're excited to continue our ministry to pastors and what God has called us to do. So I, we appreciate your prayers as we continue to work under the umbrella of Soul Leader Resources. And uh, I'm so grateful for Neil and the, the uh, time that we have spent together over the last three or four years. The group times that we've had, the individual times. And I'm grateful for the chance just to share with you this morning. We're going to talk about fear this morning. And we're going to talk about how to move from fear to faith. Because my guess is that at some point in our lives, we all have experienced fear. You know, even children experience fear. A couple of weeks ago, our almost five-year-old granddaughter was spending the night with us. And um, she and Linda were out in the kitchen uh, in the evening and they were coloring. And as they were coloring, all of a sudden, Gracie began to talk about this really bad, frightening, scary dream that she had had. And so Linda was listening and and finally Linda said to her, you know, she could sense that that this dream was still very real to Gracie and that it was causing fear. And so Linda said to her, you know, Gracie, when we go to bed tonight, we're going to pray and ask Jesus to help you. And Gracie said, well, it better be a really good prayer. And I think many of us feel that way when we face issues in our lives and we face struggles in our lives and we face fear. And we know that prayer is the answer, but it better be a really good prayer. And if you know someone that's dealing with fear and struggles in their life and you say they'll pray for them, they may be saying to you, it better be a really good prayer because I have this fear. I deal with fear. I find myself recently waking up early in the morning and earlier than I want to wake up. And and as soon as that happens, your mind starts racing. And you start thinking about, you know, I start thinking about ministry and I start thinking about how am I going to reach more pastors. And I start thinking about my family and, and I start thinking about finances and all of these things. And before I know it, instead of my heart and my mind being filled with faith, it's gripped by fear. So I understand what fear is all about. But I would ask you this morning, what causes you, right now in your life, to be afraid? We hear so much today about layoffs from work, the slowdown of the economy, flare-ups in the Middle East, the recent uprisings in Egypt are a perfect example of that. How's that going to affect us? Can gas prices get any higher? My goodness, that's one reason I'm glad I live in, in Tennessee. When I got out here and saw what you're paying for gas, now I said, I think I'll pay the gas prices in Tennessee. We hear about downturns in the housing market, increases in global warming. Obviously, they haven't been in Tennessee the last few months. Friday morning, it was 8 degrees when we woke up. That's below freezing, okay? Just in case you've never experienced 8 degrees. And if I was going to be political this morning, I would tell you that I chuckle every time because the star of global warming, Al Gore, lives in Tennessee. But I won't be political and say, I think he's all wrong about global warming. So you turn on the news each night and there's nothing to encourage us, but there are all kinds of things to instill fear in us. We fear being sued. We fear finishing last. We fear going broke. We fear that mole that we just discovered on our back. Many times it seems like we have more fear than we do faith. Well, did Jesus have anything to say about that? The fact that the Gospels list some 125 Christ-issued imperatives might give us a clue. Out of those 125, 21 urge us not to be afraid, not fear, or have courage, or take heart, or be of good cheer. The one statement that Jesus made more than any other was, do not be afraid. Let me give you a quick sampling. Matthew 10, 31. So don't be afraid. You're worth much more than many sparrows. Matthew 14, 27. Take courage. I am here. John 14, 27. Don't be troubled or afraid. Matthew 17, 7. Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise and do not be afraid. Over and over and over again, Jesus says to us, Do not be afraid. And so here's my premise today. Jesus does not want you or me to live in a state of fear because he knows what fear does to us. He, know how, he knows how fear controls us. He know how, knows how fear entraps us and focuses on that which we're afraid of instead of causing us to focus on him. He knows what fear does to us. I would guess this morning that you or I have never made statements like this. You and I have probably never said, I'm so glad for my phobias. They just put such a spring in my step. I don't think you've ever said that. I doubt if you and I have ever said, thank God for my pessimism. I'm so much better since I lost all hope. I don't think you and I have ever said, my doctor says that if I don't begin fretting, I'll lose my health. You see, Jesus knows the high cost of fear in our lives. So is there a solution? If fear and faith cannot abide in the same heart, then how do we move from fear to faith? Well, I want us to take a look at one of my favorite psalms this morning. It's Psalm 46. It's a psalm that says to us that in spite of what may be happening in our lives, God is our refuge. God is our strength. God is the one that we turn to. Now, let's be realistic this morning, folks, and just admit that storms are part of our life. Struggles are a part of life. Fear is, sometimes is a part of life. We live in this fallen world. And every one of us have our times when we need to come out of the storm and we need a place of safety. We need a place of refuge. Let me tell you about a guy I heard about several years ago. From all outward appearances, he seemed like a really nice guy. He was apparent to everyone and he pretty much had his life together. And then one day, a disaster hit. And suddenly, he found his life in this tragic accident. His whole life was shattered before him. And as hard as the doctors worked, as hard as the specialists worked, they couldn't do anything to help this guy. His story became famous worldwide. You probably heard it in several books. You probably heard it something like this. Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall. And Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And all the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again. An absolutely tragic story. And I wondered, I thought about that the other day. Why do we tell our children those wonderful, uplifting fairy tales? You know? We talk about spiders that land beside you, and we talk about the cradle that falls out of the tree and onto the ground. All those things. I don't know where we got the idea that that was going to encourage and help little children. But anyway, Humpty Dumpty is a great parable about the world in which we live in because it really describes our society that's full of chaos and clamor and confusion. We live in a society in which everything that has been nailed down seems to be coming loose. Things that people said could never happen are happening. People all around us are asking, where is the glue that will hold us together? My life is shattered. I need a place of safety. I need a place of security. My life is filled with fear. So what do you do when you need a refuge? What do you do when the storms of life are beating against you? What do you do when you find yourself with more fear than faith? I believe the answer is you go to the word of God. God's word is powerful and God's word is given to us to encourage us, to correct us, to direct us and to help us to have the comfort and the strength that we need to face the struggles of life. I don't know, Paul, if the Gideons have any statistics, but how many it would be great to know how many times an individual has checked into a motel room desperate. Maybe with a gun at the point of committing suicide. With all kinds of problems. And before that happens, they open the drawer. And there's a Bible. Oh yeah, I remember that. I used to see one of those as a kid. And they open it up. And they begin reading. And God comes. And changes that life. And moves that individual from fear to faith. That's why God's word is so important. And we're going to see what Psalm 46 has to say to us today. Because we all live in this world that's filled with chaos and clamor and confusion and fear. And I would guess there's probably been one or two of you to have said sometime along in your life, I just wish we didn't have any problems. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we just didn't have any problems? If I lived in a perfect world, I wouldn't have any problems. There's only two problems with that statement. One is, there's no such thing as a perfect world. And the second one is, if you didn't have any problems, you'd be dead. So the chances of a trouble free life are pretty slim. How do we deal with our problems? How do we deal with our fears? What can we learn from them? And how can God help us in the midst of them? You remember the promise of Jesus in John 14 1? He did not promise a life that would be devoid of trouble or problems. But he did promise an untroubled heart. He said, do not let your heart be troubled. I believe we can have an untroubled heart. We can have more fear. I mean, we can move from fear to faith as we understand God's word. And we understand some principles and convictions that come to us out of Psalm 46. Before we actually get into that psalm over, I want to give you just a little snippet of historical background to this psalm. I think it will help us understand why the psalmist came to the point to say what he said. If you want the historical background of this psalm, you have to go to 2 Kings 18 and 19. We're not going to read that now, but you can read that story later if you're interested. But you might recall that in that passage of Scripture, Hezekiah was king over Judah. And God used the prophet Micah to help the king to know God and to trust him. And as a result, Hezekiah brought much needed reform. He reestablished the Passover. He reopened the temple for worship. He recalled the people to faithfulness and obedience to God. But up in the northern kingdom, the northern kingdom had already fallen to an Assyrian conqueror by the name. And I love this guy's name. His name was Sennacherib. Isn't that a great name? Sennacherib. Now, I don't know if there's anybody here this morning that's expecting a child. We won't ask you to divulge that personal information today. But if you are, and if it's going to be a boy, have you considered naming your son Sennacherib? I just think that'd be great. You know, everybody loves babies, they're attracted to babies, and you're out, and and somebody comes up and says, oh, what a cute little baby boy. What's his name? And you say, oh, his name is Sennacherib. And they say, you know, that's probably not in that book of the favorite names and the most popular names to name your baby anymore. I just think it's a great name. His name was Sennacherib. Sennacherib was on his way to Egypt, conquering and capturing cities and territories along the way. The problem was the little kingdom of Judah stood in his way. In the year 701 BC, he destroyed the small city of Lachish, and he sent a message to Hezekiah saying, That's exactly what I'm going to do to Jerusalem. Now, any way you look at that, that's trouble. It creates chaos and clamor and confusion. And it created fear. But we need to understand what Hezekiah did with, the, with Sennacherib's warning. It gives us the first key as to what we do when trouble and fear begins to consume our lives. The scripture tells us that Hezekiah took the letter out of the temple, and, and into the temple, and he spread it out before the Lord. Now try to get that picture in your mind. Hezekiah doesn't know what's going to happen. He's fearful that his, his kingdom is going to be conquered. And he goes into the temple and he takes this letter and he lays it down on the floor. And I'm seeing in my mind that he kneels down on the floor before the Lord and he presents this problem to God. Now, keep in mind that Isaiah had come to him earlier and warned him not to enter into any agreement to save Jerusalem, but rather to trust the whole thing to the Lord. And how many times we do that? Lord, if you'll just get me out of this situation, oh, I'll serve you with all my heart. If you just get me out of this mess this time, if you'll just give me what I'm asking for, you know, I'll increase my tithe, I'll do whatever you want. And we try to make these agreements with God so that we believe God will answer us and help us if we tell Him we'll do something a little bit more, a little bit harder, as we, as we try to, to live the Christian life. Isaiah warned him, don't do that. Don't make an agreement with God, just trust the whole thing to the Lord. And so that's what he did, but his... Trust was extremely tested. The story tells us that the Assyrians advanced to Jerusalem. They camped outside the city walls. They prepared to attack the city. The battle was set to begin at midnight. And everyone in Jerusalem waited, gripped by fear. And then it happened. 185,000 Assyrians died by a mysterious plague that swept over them. Sennacherib returned to Nineveh beaten, not by combat with Judah's armies, not because of the strong walls of Jerusalem, but beaten by the Lord's intervention. That whole story could be summed up in three words. God showed up. God showed up. Because they trusted him. Because they put their faith in him. God showed up. And after this siege was over, the psalmist sang a song of uncontainable joy. And it's preserved for us here in Psalm 46. Just three simple points that I want to share with you this morning from this psalm. The first one comes out of verse 1. And the first conviction from this psalm is simply this. God is on our side. Verse 1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Where do you go when you need a refuge? Where do you go when you need to retreat from the storms of life? Where do you go when your life is filled with fear and you have more fear than you do faith? The psalmist says, you go to God. He is our refuge. He is our strength. In the same way that Hezekiah spread out before the Lord the threats of Sennacherib, so the first thing that you and I need to do when trouble strikes is to worry. To fret. To pop more pills. To drink a bottle of whatever it is that you drink. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God says the first thing you do is you go to God. You pray about it. You lay out the issues before the Lord because he's your refuge and strength. You surrender that fear to him. We sang earlier a song about surrender. It means all of us. Everything we have. The fears that grip us. Surrender it to him. I think you can even write down your fears or your troubles you're dealing with on a piece of paper and go into your bedroom or go someplace where it's quiet and lay it before the Lord and say, God, here it is. And I surrender it as best I know how. At this point, I surrender it to you. Because, you see, prayer enables us to see the issues of our trouble and seek the Lord's guidance. Now, folks, I've been doing this ministry thing for a long time. And I've had good believing Christian people say to me from time to time when they're going through a difficulty or a crisis or a problem, they say something like this. Well, I guess the only thing left to do is pray. Hello? Are you kidding me? The only thing you have left to do is pray? Pray? Shouldn't there be like a thousand other things left to do? Because the first thing we do is pray. Boy, you know, this preach is really good. But it really is hard to live. Because I can't stand here this morning and tell you that every time fear or trouble or difficulties come into my life, the first thing I do is pray. I probably come closer to panic than prayer. I know prayer works. I know prayer is where we're supposed to be. It seems like it would be the easiest thing in the world for us to do. But oftentimes, the enemy makes it the hardest thing in the world for us to do. But you see, when we retreat from the trouble and find communion with the Lord, then he gives us the wisdom and the courage and the insight to know what to do and when to do it. The psalmist says of the Lord, he is a present help in time of trouble. It simply means he's one who's willing to be found. He's not running from us. He's not hiding from us. The key word is present. Right now, today, he is here. I don't know what was in your heart and mind when you walked through those doors this morning. I don't know what struggles and problems you may be dealing with or your family's dealing with. I don't know what fears may be gripping you as even as you came to church to worship God today. But I want to tell you this morning and just remind us that the word of God says he is present. He is here right now, this moment, to touch our lives and work within us. God is our refuge and strength. And the reason why I believe that is because as I read through the Word of God, and as I read the life and ministry of Jesus, I am constantly reminded again that you know what? God is in favor of you and I winning this battle. Okay? He's in favor of that. He is your biggest fan. He is your loudest cheerleader. And if there's a cheerleading section in heaven, then God is leading it. And God is saying, you can do this. You can make it. You do not have to live a life filled with fear. Trust me. Bring it to me. Let me help you. Let me show you a way out. God is on your side. He is your refuge and strength. The second conviction out of this psalm is found in verses 2 and 3, which my... Scripture went flying on the floor here, so I will retreat it. And it simply says to us, he's not only on our side, God is by our side. Listen to these verses. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Every time I read that, I have to ask myself, is he talking about the big one? That's gonna hit California someday. That's why I moved to Tennessee. It can't be that big, you know. Maybe Arizona will become oceanfront property, but I don't think Tennessee will ever become oceanfront property. We read those verses, we're struck by the fact that here is a man who lives without fear. Though the mountains shake, though the earth shakes, I'm not gonna be afraid. He lives without fear because he's put his entire trust in the Lord. He is without fear because he knew that God was not only on his side, but God was right there walking by his side. That meaning is clear in verses four to seven. Look at those with me. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the most high dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, those words that we have read are rich in meaning for us. The river that the psalmist talks about is symbolic of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is with us to sustain us. We are never alone. Hezekiah and all Jerusalem discovered that when they fully trusted the Lord he was there with his timely intervention because you know what God always shows up it may not be when you think he should be there it may not be according to your timetable but I am convinced that God always shows up because the Lord Almighty is with us the God of Jacob is our fortress I believe that when we know that God is by our side then with confidence we can expect Him to intervene. Because the Lord is constantly at work preparing people, arranging circumstances, changing situations to bring an answer to the trouble we face. I look back on Lynn and I's life this past summer and it was kind of hectic and in turmoil, and we didn't quite know what we were going to be doing, and and uh, we kind of moved around like gypsies for Jesus, and we lived in this little apartment above a garage of some friends in Long Beach for a while, and we did some house-sitting, and actually the last month before we moved, we just simply moved in with our son and his wife and our granddaughters. Now, the jury's still out on how that really went, but you'll have to talk to them after the service to see how glad they were to see us finally pack up and move to, to Tennessee. No, we had a great time, and uh, I'd live with them any time. They may not think that's a good idea, but, but I would do that. The question is, God's working, God's moving. We may not see it all. It's like the pieces of that jigsaw puzzle. They're all out there. They're kind of floating around, and eventually, God knows how to put them all together so that they fit correctly. Linda and I decided we need to do some brain stimulation, so we bought this little jigsaw puzzle. I thought it looked easy. It's of a cute little uh, hound, uh, beagle dog. Man, we we just keep working on it a little bit of time. We have it set up on a card table. We walk in and ah, we can cram that piece in there. I know it'll fit there, but it doesn't. And that's what I try to do to my life. But God knows that piece doesn't fit there, and I know it doesn't fit there. But I know he knows which piece fits in the right place at the right time. What do we expect him to do? How do we expect him to come alongside us and be in our lives? Do we expect him to help us in our time of trouble and help us to move from fear to faith? I read one time where a gentleman says, every time trouble hits, he says this. I can't wait to see what's God going to do with this. Now that's expectation. And you know what? It results from surrender and trust. Surrender and trust. And trust. You see, my friends, when you and I can expect and affirm that the Lord is by our side, even in the midst of trouble, we can move from fear to faith. We can know the difference between nerve jangling anxiety and profound peace. I get in trouble when I say this. I'm going to give you one of my favorite psalms because of verse because I got a lot of those. But Psalm 94, 19 comes back to me again and again when anxiety was great within me. Your consolation brought joy to my soul. When you and I are in the midst of trouble, then we need to be able to confidently declare the Lord is by my side. Would you say that with me? The Lord is by my side. Pretty weak. We need a little more enthusiasm. All right. One more time. The Lord is by my side. What does that look like? When I'm facing a crisis, the Lord is by my side. When I'm struggling in my marriage, the Lord is by my side. When my job is not working out, the Lord is by my side. When at the end of the month there's more month than money, the Lord is by my side. When my body is filled with cancer or some other disease, the Lord is by my side. God is our refuge and strength. He is on our side. He is by our side. And he is never surprised with what's going on in our lives. I may have said this when I was here in August, but I'll say it one more time. God never says, oops. <laughs> I love that. I didn't originate it, but I love it. God never says, oops. God doesn't look down. Suddenly you're struggling and you're trying to make a decision. You're trying to deal with a problem or a crisis in your life. And God looks down for says, Oh my goodness. I didn't know that was happening. How did that start happening? God never says that. He knows He's there. He's on our side. He's by our side. And perhaps one of the best parts about this psalm is the last part when it tells us that he gives us his peace inside. Jesus said in John fourteen twenty seven, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Look at verses 8 and 9 as the psalmist reviews what's happened and he looks at the Lord's intervention. He says in these verses, come and see the works of the Lord. The desolation he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. And we hear the psalmist's confidence and we want to shout, all right, Lord, way to go. Yay, God. And in the midst of that. Suddenly God speaks and our souls tremble because out of the midst of chaos and confusion and clamor and fear, God comes along and says, be still and know that I am God. I don't know about you, but that's really hard to do we live in a world of noise we live in a society of clamoring and chaos noise all about us it's either the TV or the iPod or the iPhone or whatever eye you have you know it's blaring in our ears we're listening to music we're doing this we're doing that you know the kids are running around and screaming you know where do we find that place of quietness but wherever you find it God says be still Just be still and know that I am God. I'll be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The peace of God that passes all understanding flows into our life when in the midst of trouble we become still and know that he is God. You see, peace doesn't come from the absence of problems. Peace comes when we are still before the Lord and acknowledge that he is in control and we surrender it all to him. Our marriages, our families, our children, our jobs, our finances, our portfolios, our futures. And we just say as best we can and know how, Lord, it's yours. You've given it all to me. You've created me. You've given it all to me. Everything I have is a gift from you. And it's yours. Help me to hold on to it loosely. Because it belongs to you. And folks, I, I know that's not easy. It preaches a lot easier than it is to actually do. This morning, I woke up earlier than I wanted to. Must be on Tennessee time. As I lay there, I could begin to feel fear coming into my heart and mind as I began to think about things. And I thought, man, I'm going to be preaching a message this morning on moving from fear to faith. Not a very good example of that right now. So I started to pray. And I began to repeat scriptures must have worked because I think I went back to sleep and woke up an hour later. But I began to move from fear to faith. And I believe that's where the Lord wants us to be. Do you need a refuge? Do you need a shelter? Do you need a place of comfort in the midst of the storms of life? Do you need to move from fear to faith? It's not a magic formula. It's not take this pill and it'll happen. But I believe with all my heart that that's one of the reasons we have God's word. Is to move us in that journey. So that we are not gripped by fear, but we are gripped by faith. I want to close this morning by reading you a prayer. I don't usually read my prayers, but I want to use this prayer. Lynn and I try on many mornings during the week to... Take some time to read a psalm. Perhaps we'll read the psalm that corresponds to the date on the calendar. And then this year we've been using a book that's written by Lloyd John Ogilvie. Lloyd Ogilvie was pastor for many years at Hollywood Presbyterian Church and then was chaplain of the U.S. Senate. If you ever hear Dr. Ogilvie speak, you will be certain that it is the voice of God. He has a voice that's about three octaves lower than mine. And uh, you think, well, if anybody's going to sound like God, it must be Lloyd Ogilvie. I love, I've read many of his books, and, and this book is a book of daily prayers. And I want to read it to us because it was back in January 25th, and the verse he used was Genesis 26:24, Do not fear, for I am with you. And I think it'd be good if we just bow our heads and close our eyes for just these moments and help us to focus on what I want to read. Listen to what he says. We've sung about this idea of surrender. It's a part of this prayer. But listen to what he says. Lord God, you are infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and the source of wisdom, holiness, goodness, and truth. Today I come to you with two biblical admonitions. I am told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. But also I am told that I am not to fear. Help me to distinguish between the humble awe and wonder that opens me to the gift of your guidance And the negative panic that so often grips my soul when problems arise. Listen to this next line. Give me a profound reverence for you that keeps me on the knees of my heart. May I never presume that I am adequate for the day's challenges until I've received your strength and vision. Give me the confidence that comes from trusting in your reliability and resourcefulness. I know you will never let me down because you always endeavor to lift me up. Lord, liberate me from all the fears that haunt me. The fear of the past, the fear of failure, and the fear of what is ahead. I may not know what the future holds, but I do know that you hold the future. And that's why I can replace my every fear with total confidence in you who never leaves nor forsakes. Father, today, as we contemplate these words that we have shared, and as we are about to move from this sanctuary out into the world, would you move us from fear to faith as we surrender our lives fully to you. Amen.